On today's episode of the Nifty Nick Show, I am stoked to have on the creator of the third NFT ever. Mitchell Chan created a unique concept that perfectly encapsulates the concept of NFTs, and that's by minting one that's completely invisible. That's right, the original versions were a blank screen and they're about to sell out. This show's all about learning from those with skin in the game, the world of NFTs, and as usual, today's guest is no exception, so let's get started. If you're looking for some crypto, you just found the right spot. We wrap it up, one of a kind, NFT straight to the top. Now don't go trading based on comments, we provide in this show. It's not investment advice, but our picks do tend to blow up. Like a rocket, they say. Many people have compared it to people's every day. So if you're trying to figure out what's going on in this space, please do not worry. Your boy Nifty Nick is hot on the case. Awesome. Welcome to the show, Mitchell. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. So yeah, I'm excited to have you on. I think it would be useful to kick things off just to discuss, you know, how you got started. I know that the project that you created started back in 2017 but maybe we can cue that up with first how you even got involved in the crypto space as a whole. Sure. Well, I actually got involved with the crypto space looking for a new art material. Where I was at just before I made this project, I'd been a professional artist for, you know, 10, 12 years at that time. And the work that I created was already very immaterial. The last exhibition that I did before I created this crypto project was probably my most successful project ever up until that point. And it was a sculpture made out of clouds of water vapor. And so these were just clouds and they slammed together. Um, And that was the whole sculpture. And without getting too much into it, it was really indicative of my attempt to always be using the least amount of material possible to create artworks that were as intangible as possible. And so coming so after that project, my thought is, well, okay, what now that I've made a sculpture out of clouds, what can I use to make an artwork that is even less substantial? And of course, you know, the reason why I use materials that are sort of just on the cusp of visibility and just on the cusp of tangibility is because, you know, I'm trying to represent a world that I believe is defined by structures and systems that are invisible. The world around us, as much as it is things that we can touch, our lives are just as, if not more, impacted by the things that we can't touch and the things that we can't see. And so that would include financial systems. So I figure this is a pretty good thing to not just make an artwork about, but to make an artwork with. But how could you make how could you make a financial system and have it be artwork? How could you make art out of out of finance? And then I discovered Ethereum. And I said, wow, that's programmable money. Um, <laughs> that sounds like I can do something creative with that. Let's let's look into it. And that's a, event, that's how I got into crypto. I was literally looking for something I could make art out of. That's awesome. And were you, uh, well, it sounds like you were focused solely on art, but had you done programming before this? Yeah. Um, technology has been a big part of everything that I do. Um, I actually, I went to school in the art and technology studies department at the Art Institute of Chicago. And I actually, I don't think, yeah, even at, even at that point, I think I was actually teaching art and code at OCAD University up here in Toronto. Okay. So you had some experience there. So it wasn't too daunting a task as you uh, voyaged into the world of, I guess, Ethereum and Solidity 
which frankly, you know, it is pretty daunting at first glance. Solidity is incredibly daunting, uh, right? Deploying Solidity is the most stressful thing that I have done in my art career. And I've done some crazy stuff. Yeah. Well, I've gone on and like watched some YouTube videos. I'm still in the process of learning it myself. I've been a developer for 20 years, but just taking a look at it, I'm like, okay, well, it's, it's a new thing to learn, but there's a lot of challenges that uh, come along with that. But enough about that. So you were looking for a new medium. You found one in, Ether- in Ethereum, and then you proceeded to... Well, actually, before we describe the project, I'm actually curious... What's the fascination with things that were intangible? Like, how long had you been working on that, or what was the clouds of water vapor like the first project that you had done in that space? And like, what's the inspiration from that? You did at least articulate just now the fact that like the world is much more of things that we can't even see. But was there some like philosophical thing that you you were like exploring at that moment in time that was driving you down this path, or an emotional state, or something like that that drove you to do this? Yeah, it had been a progression. Like my my work had been getting progressively less and less physical over the course of years. I actually started out studying architecture and it was just all less material from there. And yeah, I think that you you reiterated that perfectly. It is just that, you know, previously artists who were I guess what you would call minimalists, a lot of them had a drive to their their drive towards minimalism was an attempt to make kind of art that was just art on its own terms, right? You would have artists like Kaspar Malevich, who would paint a black square. And when he painted a black square, that was just a black square. It was his way of saying, you know, a painting doesn't have to be a representation of anything at all. It can be just a black square. That's it, right? And so he's, you know, he's doing that in the 20s or 30s or whatever. But my, my instinct is, is completely the opposite, where I actually am trying to represent things. And so when I made two clouds, you know, these were two clouds and these clouds shot out of holes in the walls and then they um, and then they collided in the center of this room in the spotlight. Right. And for me, that was a way of representing like the condition of online discourse, like how we talk to each other online. Right. There's essentially these two fairly insubstantial uh, movements that happen and, and they collide because the entire system, the entire structure is set up really just to be oppositional and and confrontational and so you know to show that system it's like if you want to show something that's invisible the best way to represent it is by making something that is almost invisible yeah okay so let's dive into your project uh digital zones of immaterial pictorial sensibility so yeah so you was that the first you were exploring ethereum did you create stuff before this project or this was right out the gates uh you started with this one no, this is my first ever crypto art piece. And, you know, I will admit I, I came into the scene and I didn't realize I didn't really have knowledge of the crypto artists that were sort of already active at that time. I mean, to my great detriment and, and, and today to my embarrassment. So, yeah, this was the first the first thing. And I mean, I think that anybody who has discovered crypto at some point in their life has this moment where, you know, I came into it looking for this one thing. And then whatever you were thinking about before, whatever was on your mind before, your plans sort of stopped. And you're like, whoa, what is this thing? Like, what is this crazy thing all about? And you spend a long time thinking about it, trying to wrap your head around not just the technology, but 
the bigger conceptual questions like, what does this all mean? Is any of this real? Um, and so for me, being an artist, the way that I was, you know, I came to crypto trying to use it to make art. Then I discovered crypto and I started and I had to use art history as a way to understand like what the heck crypto was conceptually. Got it. And so as you were exploring that, did you come across this other, the Eve Klein project before you created this? Or did you first come up with the idea and then you were looking for uh, something in comparison? No, I mean, I was aware of Eve Klein and I was aware of this project that I ended up ended up referencing. And so, uh, you know, Eve Klein, I mean, he's a, I, Eve Klein is very much in the canon of important 20th century artists, you know? But the more I was thinking about crypto, I thought, okay, so, I mean, this is about, it's something that definitely has value because there's an agreed upon belief and that belief is sort of like, it's like recorded and enshrined in, in code, which is intangible. In and I started to think about other artworks that worked like that. And I just came back to Eve Klein's zones of immaterial pictorial sensibility. And to me, this project exactly explained kind of what blockchain was all about, like what cryptocurrencies were all about. And to me also sort of you know, I'm thinking there, all right, well, what would happen if we made art on blockchain? Well, it would be not physical, but it would definitely be real. And it would be, and, and what would happen? What would happen if art ever were to be bought and sold as tokens? Like, what would that mean? That Wouldn't that be crazy if that ever became a thing? And so, and to me, this project, uh, this artwork, answer that question. And I mean, I can I can describe that original Eastline artwork if you like. Yeah, sure. And I definitely want to touch on a subject uh, that you'd mentioned earlier in terms of minimalism, but we can actually uh, wait. Let's first, uh, yeah, let's first describe the uh, previous project and we can dive into your representation of it. And then we can actually discuss some of the other things after that. Sure. So here's the condensed version of the story, right? The year is 1958. Eve Klein, it is his 30th birthday, and uh, he is, even at that age, already a very famous painter. Well, he's a very famous artist. He's done more than, more than just painting. Um, and he's probably best known, if you only know one Eve Klein work, you probably know his blue monochrome paintings. They're just this incredible deep blue, this blue that is so unique that he, he actually patented it, and it's called International Klein Blue. Anyway, in 1958, he unveils this artwork that is, for me, it, like it is the apotheosis of what he's trying to achieve in his career with those blue paintings, those minimalist blue paintings. He opens up this exhibition at Galerie Iris Claire in Paris, and apparently thousands of people line up to see this exhibition. And when they get into the gallery, the gallery is completely empty. And what Eve Klein explains is he explains that this gallery has been imbued with the sensibility of the color blue. Okay. Now, this sounds like a little bit of a sort of first year, like BFA student taking the piss kind of project, which in 2021, it probably would be. But in 1958, it's pretty revolutionary. And we can, I mean, everybody can make their own decisions. But when I looked at his life and his career, which had been constantly trying to make art that was more and more spiritual by being less and less material, to me, this made perfect sense 
and I had belief and I had trust in his in his motives and that he did believe that he was creating some sort of some sort of value or some sort of sensation. And I think that for people who bought into it, it was a very I think it was a very powerful experience. And we have some notes from people who who went to the exhibition and they, you know, communicated that they they sort of felt the same way. But what Klein is trying to do is more than just make an artwork that has no physical aspect, right? Like on one hand, he is doing that. He's trying to see, can I communicate a feeling, an idea, a sensation, sheerly through force of will? Can I do that? And, you know, with his history, like with his, with, with his fame, yes, he, he probably could do that. But, you know, I think that to show that he was being thoughtful about it, he had to bring some other considerations into play, some other factors that affect how we experience and how we perceive art. You know, as we all know, art is for sale. And Eve Klein acknowledges that ownership over a piece of art can dramatically change your perception of it or your relationship to it. So these invisible artworks were actually for sale. And to play on the idea of materiality and immateriality and the fact that some ownership is expressed physically and some isn't, he says that these invisible artworks, which are just sort of air, that is imbued with an idea are for sale only for pure gold. And sure enough, some people did buy them for pure gold. And then he took it one step further because just as there are different levels of materiality to an artwork and different levels of sensation to an artwork, there are different levels of ownership. So when you bought one of these invisible artworks for gold ingot, (laughs) um, you would receive in exchange nothing but a paper receipt that said which specific edition of empty space you had received. So this is literally a non-fungible token, okay? This was like Eve Klein's zone of immaterial pictorial sensibility was, as far as I'm concerned, as far as I'm aware, the first artwork exchanged through non-fungible tokens where the non-fungible token was the artwork. It was the only artifact, the only physical artifact that you can get. And I'm realizing this in 2017, before the term non-fungible token is even in, in the lexicon, right? Like ERC-721 hasn't been developed yet. This is, I'm working on this just as CryptoPunks is coming up. But then he takes it one step further. He says that there's a difference between legally owning something and actually sort of spiritually, metaphysically owning it. So if you have this receipt, if you have this non-fungible token, you certainly have proof that you legally own this invisible masterpiece. But to truly, he says, redeem the immaterial value of the artwork, that is to say, like to truly get the spiritual value of it, you have to perform this ritual where you meet him at the River Sen, and he will throw half the gold that you gave him into the river. And you will burn your token. And following that ritual, you will sort of, that, that, that sensibility of the artwork does, does actually become a part of you through that ritual. So that was the artwork. And to me, I was like, yep, if we ever, if we ever started creating and selling art on blockchain, like this is, this is the model. Like this is at its core, at its soul, what we're doing. And I think you're spot on. And his story is equally, you can find it, you can definitely take offense to it, but it's also simultaneously genius. And I think there's also something that goes, you know, with alongside his depth of experience. Sometimes I feel like if, uh, let's say, you 
we're networked into someone who's been, uh, you know, very successful in their career and they're willing to take a call with you and they just give you like some, you know, basic piece of advice and you're like, well, what that, you know, what the hell was that? You walk away sort of wondering what, you know, what, what's the deal there? And it's like, man, that person has spent decades, you know, going through life, experiencing the, these different things and collecting that experience in order to deliver you something which may seem absolutely basic or in his case, completely invisible, but I love the representation and it it really does perfectly encapsulate it and your timing around it is so beautiful just because it's on the cusp of even the invention of the name, you know, non-fungible token in ERC-721. So, I mean, you were equally, you know, ahead of your time, I think the same way that Eve Klein was. It was, thank you. It was, I mean, I'll take credit for some of it. Some of it was just an accident, just thinking about the right sets of ideas at the right time and realizing that they were, that they were related and that I could use one to understand the other and vice versa. So let's actually discuss real quick what your representation of it was. The first version, the version that is today, and then I actually want to jump into a little more theory around it and how it's sort of representative of the space today and what your thoughts are on it and and otherwise. But yeah, maybe we can jump into how you first decided to materialize this for your, for the uh, first version. Sure. So then in 2017, I decided, all right, this is, this is everything that I want to say about blockchain and art together uh, could probably be said best through the exercise of translating this artwork from 1958 in, into blockchain, right? So the thing that I do is, you know, obviously I had no experience coding Solidity before that, but I, you know, I picked it up and basically like Klein wrote pretty specific notes on exactly how these things were supposed to be transacted, exactly how many editions there were that were to be produced, the fact that they were to be released in sets or series. Um, and that each series uh, would have a pricing that followed a bonding curve. All of this stuff, there were very specific instructions. And so my job as the artist was that I basically translated these instructions for the transfer of this conceptual artwork from 1958 into Solidity code. And it was like, I don't want to say it was totally by accident because, I mean, I, I kind of knew what I was doing, but it's probably a better story if I just say it was totally an accident. That like what came out was a non-fungible token, right? Like if you just follow Eve Klein's instructions for how to sell his art and you put it into Solidity, what comes out is a non-fungible token. Like, like dude did it. <laughs> so yes, right. So, so, so I made all that. And then I think there are a couple of things that I have to do because I want to follow the exact process for the transactions of it. But, you know, I want to do a little bit on the sort of metaphysical side and I want to do a little bit on the representation side. So on the metaphysical side, I mean, first of all, I don't have Klein's career behind me to legitimate like the earnestness with which I'm doing this, um, because because I, I I do believe in this. I mean, there is like s- s- some level to which this is a critique, only because I think that to be fair about anything you're you're intrigued with, you have to invite that into what you're saying. But it's 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 done with the utmost sincerity and the idea that selling the idea of something is beautiful and that is actually incredibly liberating. So, but anyway, so I did need to write an essay that explained all of these ideas so that people could kind of believe in them the way that I did. So I wrote this essay. It was called the Blue Paper. It was 33 pages long, 
and it kind of has all this story of equine and and this story of blockchain and it kind of brings them all together um, and it makes a couple predictions about the future and so I put that out there and I lectured on that in a few places in terms of the actual sensation that I was trying to transmit so I did I did color studies and because I couldn't imbue spiritually this artwork with the same shade of blue that Eve Klein did because he patented his blue and I'm not looking to run afoul of any lawyers from the estate of Eve Klein so I traveled and I finally found the blue that I wanted to be to be in it and I sort of reflected on it or meditated on it for a little bit and that was an important part of the process and then finally for the display of it if it could be displayed at all if there was any display experience for the original zones, it would be the empty gallery. Although sometimes there wasn't even that. So I just made a simple web page, which I hosted on Swarm, that was just that was just a white web page. And to the extent that you could, if you were looking to see anything, go to that web page. It's just white, and you're and that's as close as I can come to giving you an empty white gallery. So that was what my version ended up being. Awesome. So uh, you made this version. How did it uh, fare uh, the first time? Like when you put this into the market, did anyone buy it? <laughs> so, uh, uh, no, a few of my uh, friends did. Uh, so I actually presented this at an art gallery, at a very good art gallery at Interactive in Toronto, which is like like a, a gallery that's been committed to showing like innovative artwork that uses technology for like 35 years. And I did a lecture. I like read my 33-page essay, and uh, th those the people who were still awake afterwards, they got to see me. It was an exhibition of the artwork because at that point, I pulled up my laptop, I released the first series, and I minted the first token right there in the gallery, Series Zero, Edition Zero, and that was the exhibition of the artwork. As you know, it was that that was the display, right? And so a few friends did pick it up. A few friends did buy some. And I did actually end up getting to lecture on it again at Kent State University a few months later. And then like nothing. So like the first series, the way it works is like um, uh, the series are zero index. So series zero is unique. There, there were 31 tokens in series zero. After that, every series only has 10 tokens. And I can't release the next series until the previous series sells out. So this series, the 31 tokens in series zero, just kind of like my friends bought them and then they just sat there. And finally, that series of 31 tokens sold out in February of this year. It took three and a half years. But then like it was in February, the people started to notice. And actually, I was I was actually delighted with with who ended up uh, collecting the, the last series zeros. And that, that series, because you've since wrapped it into a second set, which includes a receipt like a, that you mm -hmm. can, um, that shows up on OpenSea or wherever you're displaying uh, the NFTs. That's a 721, ERC 721 wrapped token. But did you keep, so those original ones that were purchased, those are still the ones that are purchased. Like you didn't go back to uh, square one and start with whatever series zero for the wrapped version, right? No, 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 no. Blockchain is forever. So um, the people who got the Series Zeros, um, yeah, they got it. And I'm glad you mentioned the wrapper. So what I did this year, because some people were discovering the project, and it also seemed like a good time to create a type of almost appendix to the project that commented on where we are right now with NFTs and you know, some of the criticism and discussion about NFTs. So I did make a wrapper contract. The wrapper is ERC721. And so if you take your original IKB token and you wrap it there, then 
then it will display on OpenSea, right? Previously, because the uh, the digital zones were pre-721, just like CryptoPunks, they don't show up on OpenSea by themselves, right? So yeah, so the wrapper was fine. You, you need one, you need one uh, IKB token, and then the the wrapper will always give you a receipt that represents exactly the token that you wrapped. And yeah, so some people are like, so that the, the, the token that I minted at InterAccess in 2017, I put that you know in the wrapper, and it's still the 2017 mint token. Yeah, I mean, it's such a perfect story because essentially you got on stage to present this concept. I'm curious, at that point in time, did people view this as almost like performative art? Like, is that, is that what they thought? You know, I think that they kind of did. And also, I think that it kind of was. Um, and uh, like, I would always, like on my website, I said, well, this is typically presented as like a lecture, you know, best to present it as a lecture so I can explain the concepts. And then you should present it with like a hardware wallet that shows that you own the IKB because that's really the only display value, right? Is showing that you own the token, right? That's what NFTs are about now. So it, it was in a way kind of a performance, almost like an edutainment type performance because, you know, a lot of it was about, yeah, using art to explain blockchain to art people and using blockchain to explain or and using blockchain to explain art to blockchain people. What's also awesome about it, you had mentioned minimalism before, and that's something which I often feel in conflict about. You know, I bought, I basically printed one of my NFTs today to hang on my wall. And I like, it was a conflicting experience because I'm thinking, man, this is designed around like NFTs are really purely minimalist. Your project is as purely minimalist as it can get. I mean, I, I guess you could strip it and literally just buy an ERC-20 token or something like that and call that an, an NFT because you collected it and it's a one of one. But yeah, I think the minimalist aspect of it is imbued within this entire space. So I'm curious, you know, do you plan on doing additional ones or is this is like since you've created the essentially the purest type of NFT, you're just going to stop there. You're good to go. <laughs> um, I uh, th thank you for saying that. Actually, I do think that it is an incredibly pure NFT. Like, I think that it's like I I, I think that it's the NFTest NFT um, that, that that there can be, and I do mean that with endearment because the same concepts, the same ideas that sort of earn critique and scorn and skepticism from others are concepts that I find incredibly um, beautiful, uh, which is like the, the immateriality of, of the token um, and the infinite reproducibility of the image that it points to. But am I going to stop? No, <laughs> because no, because there's still a lot that you can do with this technology. And, and, and also, you know, I should say this as well. It's sort of a trope of contemporary art in particular that Contemporary art loves it when an artwork refers to the conditions of its own making, right? Like there's this thing, maybe it's a modern art thing too, maybe, but it's just like, you know, a, a painting that is about painting, like there's, that, that is a, a certain art trope, right? And so I think that it's, it's cool that I made an NFT that is very much about what an NFT is, but that's not the only way to make art. Like not every painting needs to be about paint and not every clay pot needs to be about clay. Um, you can do other things with it. And so I just feel like for me, starting with this, it's like it gives me a really good conceptual foundation. I feel like I understand the medium in these 
terms now, right? And and now I can go and, and, and do other stuff. Which sounds awesome. I'm curious what projects you come up with. But we're in May 2021. We look back at 2017. What were your thoughts, you know, as essentially what has happened is is there's this, been this entire creation of a multi-billion dollar, I think it's multi, mm-hmm. NFT market essentially created and spawned ever since the creation that you, you made and as well as other people innovating in the space. But I'm curious, like, or it sounds like it organically got picked up, which would make sense because now everyone's sort of like uncovering every uh, nook and cranny of the NFT space because it's worth a lot. But, but I'm I'm wondering, like, what's your take on it, on the NFT space as a whole today? It is, honestly, it's too big for me to have one catch-all opinion of it. You know, I, I mean, there's so much, right? There's collectibles, there's art, um, there's, there's old crypto art that's being rediscovered. And so I'm very hesitant to have kind of one take that, 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 that I bring to this, mm-hmm. to this whole field, you know? I would say that it is, I am very excited. I'm very, I guess to follow like just the trajectory of this project, which is what I can speak on because it's my experience, right? The thing that I found most satisfying is that in this space, I have found a lot of people who were really eager to engage with some of these ideas that I were that 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 I, I wanted to bring to the table with this artwork. And ultimately, you know, like I, I've gotten so many messages, like DMs from people who are, you know, not just interested in like, oh, it's a token from 2017 and blockchain and crypto, but interested in in Eve Klein, right? So look, all the positive things that have been said about this space, I am, you know, mostly in agreement with. I am really happy that, um, you know, a lot of artists are finding new ways to get paid for making their work. It's incredibly exciting. And obviously it is going to inspire a number, like it's going to inspire however many people to, you know, also consider like taking up art and becoming more interested in art. Um, I also think that a lot of the criticisms that we've seen of this space you know, like specifically like, you know, it's, it's, you know, there are scammy NFTs obviously that are out there and sort of low effort NFTs. And, uh, you know, as people kind of go in for the cash grab, that's inevitable with the boom, you know, other people have, have critiqued the sort of like a historicity of a lot of the art that they see out there. And I think that a lot of that is valid. I also think that it's incredibly early in like, in every way. You know, like we're seeing art being produced and sold by like a lot of artists who are really just at the beginning of their careers. And it is exciting to see them kind of discovering different projects and concepts that they can bring into what they do. And, you know, people like really are engaging with it. So I guess that's sort of my take. (laughs) Awesome. Yeah, it was a broad sweeping question. So you don't need to give, uh, you know, the exact assessment of the NFT space, but it's definitely come a long way uh, since those early days. And yeah, I mean, now it's also accessible for people. You know, in your case, you were able, you had to code something in order to materialize it. But I think it's also interesting because uh, there's a, I wanted to do a series myself on terms of uh, code as art and the contracts mm-hmm. themselves. I had seen a piece on, if you look at like Mad Dog Jones, for example, his replicator piece, the, the contract itself actually has actual art like on there sort of ascii art in the actual contract is one thing 
But then you actually think about it and you're like, oh, well, the code is kind of the art piece itself as well. And that's definitively the case with yours is you made this piece of code, which you ended up selling essentially. And I think that that's something that is quite unique. And also it's just, it's a new type of art, I guess, from that standpoint, because most people don't think about collecting their code as art necessarily. But when you, when packaged the right way, it can become that. And for people who've been growing up, you know, on software, it seems inevitable, if not um, something that makes a ton of sense. So it's pretty cool uh, to see yours. So I guess since you've created the most minimalist form, is the next step to go back towards visual art? <laughs> um, I'm not sure. I, I'm really not sure what the next step is um, right now. I'm just sort of Honestly, I, I think that the next step for me will just be a lot of reading and a lot of writing. I am very interested in like the conceptual repercussions of what is going on right now, like particularly with like particularly with the market and the increased fractionalization of these assets. And like that sounds like a very like market bro take, which sure, I mean I'll I'll own that, but also like one of the things that I realize is that there have been not enough artists in history who have like earnestly and in good faith engaged with the way that their artworks are commodities like a lot of the you know a, a lot of the artworks who engage with like the financial value of their artwork do it in a way that is like kind of tongue-in-cheek or kind of douchey you know like 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 a damien hearst diamond skull per se and another thing that's really interesting about Klein is that he's one of the very few artists who is like, who is, has acknowledged his artworks as commodities and understood that the commodification of them is not a completely like separate, like you can't just kind of quarantine that from the, from the artistic perception of it. And so that's something that I'm really interested in because ultimately as we're like financializing and commodifying these artworks in different ways, it will make the art mean something different. And I would just like to spend a lot of time. I would just kind of like to spend the next few months just thinking about that and like writing about that and then, and then figuring out if I have an opinion on that. So probably, probably, you know, I, I might, I might make another artwork in like, in like six months after I'm done, like having some ideas. <laughs> That sounds awesome. And just that comment itself provides a source of inspiration where, you know, the first thing that you created, the technology is, it's the medium. And this is another represent, potential opportunity to do something similar. I don't want to project what you're doing, but it's in a medium into itself, what you were talking about in terms of fractionalizing um, NFTs. So yeah, there definitely could be something there. And I'm curious to see what you come up with. Well, how can people find you online if they want to uh, look into your, well, your existing pieces and then maybe some of your ongoing thoughts? Sure, yeah. Um, the website for the Digital Zones project is chan.gallery. And you can, um, and so you can check that out. And I've posted all the essays that I've made about the project are posted there. Some of the press that the, has uh, been written about the project is there, including, including your article on the Nifty Nick. And, um, yeah, and so there's, there's tons of information at chan.gallery and series five of the digital zones, uh, goes live for sale will be released tomorrow at uh, 1 PM Eastern time. I feel like the start, what's the starting price on that for series five, the series five tokens cost 3.2 ether. 
Yeah, I'm not going to be able to bid on that, but uh, it's, it's pretty, well, it's not a bid. It's, it's just a flat out purchase, but I was disappointed I didn't hear about it before. The person who introduced me to you uh, was, I think, an earlier collector and pretty stoked about the project, which makes sense. It's a pretty cool one. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, if it's, um, if it's the guy that I think it was, yeah, he found it pretty early and was, um, and was, was pretty excited about it. And so he, uh, he aped in uh, to Series 1. Well... I'm really grateful to have had you on and appreciate you uh, coming on the show. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate your questions. I really appreciate talking to you. Thank you. Also, I mean, give yourself a plug. You have a pretty impressive lineup of, uh, of guests coming up this week. That's it for this episode of the Nifty Nick podcast. And if you made it this far, make sure to subscribe at thenifty.com. Thanks again.